everybody, it's Rob Naylor, and I'm joined today by Chris Zellner here on Cover to Cover, our lovely uh, wrestling magazine podcast. Uh, Chris, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. I'm getting over a, a little sinus deal that's affecting me this week, but uh, I'm good to go now. I'm ready to uh, talk about your magazine that we didn't get to do in the last show because my magazine went way long, which... It ends up being better that way, I think, because we have our own shows now instead of trying to split a show. So um, it's worked out for the best. Always, they're always going to go way long. Uh, I also, if I sound a little nasally this week, guys, I uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I have an allergy to wrestling. It's going around. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's going around. Yeah, I, I know people I've, I talked to around where I live that's, that's, that's had these issues this week. And I've seen other people talk about online, you know, having issues. So. I don't know. Well, I don't know what's going on around the country. Everyone feels better. We're going to do our best here. Uh, I have got a copy of February 1991, The Wrestler, mm-hmm. Victory Sports Series, After Mag. This is a great magazine. I'm really happy. It's my first one. I will be putting photos up of this online all week. So before the show comes out, y'all can check out the photos in anticipation of this show dropping. Which you know you you'll only hear once the show drops. So what am I talking? About? <laughs> the, show, the show will the, the, Ever, yeah, uh, it, yes it, it it will uh it will be dropping very soon. But it's already go. dropped when you hear this. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've got it's a lovely magazine. It's got a picture of Sting on the front, or is it? It's a picture of Sting with a lot less muscle tone, with a sly smile on his face. Wearing pink tights and pink and black uh, face paint, and I'll just let you in on it now. It's not Sting. It's Barry Windham with his haircut short and spiked up like Sting. As the main story is the incredible Halloween Havoc hoax unraveling the diabolical plot. And basically, uh, Barry Windham commits the not-so-perfect crime as Sid Vicious pins Sting, or does he? And it shows Sid Vicious landing on Sting, who's Barry Windham. This is a, this is a cover story that did a better job with the angle than the actual promotion did. <laughs> Shocking. It, it, yeah, I mean, the, the, the actual promotion did such a piss-poor job of this angle. It, imagine if they, WWE in 1988 completely and utterly and categorically botched the uh, Hebner brothers twin ref angle. That's what this was. It was just like completely a, a really good angle on paper and uh horseman doing some subterfuge with sting, but uh, it was never followed up on. And basically never. it really shot well either, but this magazine follows up on it in an amazing way. And uh, we'll get into that a little later. Also in this magazine, East meets West. North of the Ring, as the great Muda wrestles Ricky Steamboat in Japan, which is Ooh. another. I always liked it when they'd go to Japan in the magazines because you didn't get that too much in the after mags. Uh, here's another story: Jim Cornette, very popular this week on the internet, and probably next week too. Jim Cornette says, "I will break up the Midnight Express if they can't beat the Steiners." By the way, guys, this magazine is February 1991, just after Halloween Havoc. So basically, the Midnight Express, as we knew it from Lane and Eaton with Jim Cornette did not exist in February 91. So this is, we'll discuss this. I think this, I think maybe they got a tip that this was coming. Uh, Also uh, enforce the 30 day rule, strip the ultimate warrior of the WWF title. 
And the last story on here is, does Jimmy Hart own a piece of Hulk Hogan? So there's a lot of funny things in this magazine that basically can be looked at today, even with Brock Lesnar and the 30-day rule. And, you know, you have uh, Jimmy Hart kissing Hogan's ass. So it's it's all pretty funny. And uh, PWI and the wrestler stay ahead of the curve with this magazine. All right, Chris, here we go. We're going to the letters portion. Oh. Uh Going too far. The WWF has done some stupid and unfeeling things in the past, but now they've outdone themselves. We have troops in the Saudi Arabian desert fighting for freedom. We have family members at home worrying about their brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, sons, and daughters. And we have WWF allowing Sergeant Slaughter to have a Saddam Hussein lookalike as his manager. This is a serious issue. WWF should not be making a joke of it. That's from Donna Latris in Norfolk, Virginia, who's really upset about it. And there's a picture of Sheik Adnan El Casey, who is the aforementioned uh, Saddam Hussein lookalike manager with uh, with Sergeant Slaughter. What did, you, did you What did you think of that time period, Chris? Did you enjoy uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Iraqi sympathizer? Um, at this maybe point, enjoy, time enjoys the wrong word. Well, at this point in time, it wasn't as ramped up as it was going to be. I think once they got into 91 and the war was actually going on, it, it, it wasn't the best thing to do as far as how they did it. And, you know, I I mean, look, it lost them. Uh, it lost them, you know, the Coliseum in Los Angeles, WrestleMania. So they had to move the venue. Uh, they lost them basically their NBC deal. So Saturday night's main event done. So it was a it was a loss, a total loss in that way. And Slaughter I, Slaughter wasn't the Sergeant Slaughter of nineteen eighty five anymore. He was bigger. I mean, he, he, he did a good job playing the heel character, but I don't think anybody really wanted him to be a heel. Yeah, because everybody thought of Sergeant Slaughter as GI with G.I. Joe and all that stuff. I mean, you didn't want to be a heel. You didn't want to boost Sergeant Slaughter. But the time came, it was what it was, and, you know, just the way he won the title from the Warrior with help from, from the Macho King with the Scepter, and then the Hogan feud. I mean, it was it, it was a Hogan feud where Hogan could be, you know, U.S. Patriot Hogan, but I, I just was, I was not a fan. I, I was not a big fan of the Sarger Slaughter. I mean, if I was going to rank feuds in WWF at that time, on the, I mean, Macho and Ultimate Warrior was way ahead to me. Than, than Hogan and Slaughter. Uh, Jake and Rip Martell was way ahead to me than Hogan and Slaughter. You know, I mean, the, 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 Roddy Piper and, 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 uh, Vir- and DiBiase fighting for the Virgil's love was higher to me than Hogan and Slaughter. So, <laughs> so there you go. There, that's how I felt about the feud. Right, here, here's my quick take on it, which might not be so quick. I loved Sergeant Slaughter in like 84. <clears throat> Six AWA. Now you said Slaughter of eighty five. I think Slaughter of eighty three and eighty four is peak Slaughter. But I will say, as a worker, yes, yeah, I will say that by the end of the AWA with Sarge and the Team Challenge series with Jake the Milkman, Milliman, and the Baron and all this shit, I thought he sucked. And then he's fighting Colonel De Beers. It's even as a just a kid fan, I was just like Sergeant Slaughter kind of sucks. He's not the same. 
without fighting Kamala, and we didn't really care about Russia anymore. It just wasn't the same. And remember, I didn't even know about Sheik and Slaughter because that was after I got into watching. So I've gone back and watched, and now I look at Slaughter in a completely different way. I hated this feud. I thought uh, Slaughter Hogan was just shitty, and I didn't care about it, much like you just said. I thought the worst abomination was when Hogan and Warriors' main match at SummerSlam was against Adnan, Colonel Mustafa, and Slaughter, which is, in my opinion, the worst WWF. I got to say F because I haven't watched regularly in 15 years, but WWF main event of all time, just the fucking shit. My, uh, my, my, my thing on, on that is, uh, as far as F and E, if it takes place during the F era, it's WWF. If it takes place during the E era, it's WWE. So uh, that's how I that's how I do. Yeah. So it was by far the worst of that era, <clears throat> possibly the worst of all time. But I just don't have enough. It was terrible. To say that because uh, it was like you just had Sid come in. Flair was on his way. It, there was a little holding pattern there when WWE was doing worse and worse business after the steroid trial and molestation. Well, here's my here's uh, my thing. Who's the Warriors' big feud at that time? The Undertaker, who, who he doesn't even have a match on the show. Yeah, exactly. Because they they did they actually did business in Hershey for a couple times over. You're right. So without why not do why not do Hogan Warrior against Jake and Undertaker? Think about how that would have went. Yeah, it, the whole thing was just so bad, and and I actually like that whole SummerSlam show more now than I did then. And even now, I can look back on the Slaughter thing more in a positive light now than I did then. But, they had uh, some good matches. The the, the yeah, they did have, they did uh, the Masquerade Garden uh, boot camp match was a good match. They there were some things that was that was redeeming now, but again, you're exploiting a war, you know. It's, Even as a kid, know. I thought that. But like Slaughter's promos were very good. Uh, he he was a little over the top. Subtlety was not his strong suit. In he was committed to his character. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, that's enough on that one, I suppose. Here's another one. A weighty problem. Playboy Buddy Rose, who weighs about 375 pounds, but says he only weighs 217, is the biggest joke ever in the WWF. Imagine those that statement. He needs to give up wrestling and go on the Dick Gregory diet plan. That's from Daryl Bass, <laughs> Newcastle, Delaware. And there's underneath it a picture of a very Zoftig Buddy Rose from WWF at the time. And they're making fun of his weight. Uh, <laughs> I like Buddy Rose. This was not his best era for sure, but probably his most talked about era in wrestling. As weird as that sounds with all he did in Portland and everything else, he's probably best known for the blowaway diet. Sad, but true. And, uh, Dick Gregory getting to mention into the uh, Anthemax. Dick Gregory, a uh, comedian. Uh, he was a, you know, a, he was a big time uh, advocate for uh, social justice and stuff. He's more noted really for that than his comedy these days. But he was a, you know, he was a, a, a black comedian who <clears throat> he lo- he was had a famous diet plan, and that that's funny that, that that's brought up with Buddy Rose. <laughs> Okay, you're going to love this next letter because I just noticed it now. I wasn't even going to read one, but I have to now. What's in a name? I don't know about my fellow wrestling fans, but I, for one, am getting sick and tired of WWF pairing singles wrestlers together and forming makeshift tag teams. Man, they'd hate it now for sure. (laughs) First, Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine form Rhythm and Blues. Next, Hercules and Paul Roma join forces as Power and Glory. Hey, Vince, 
Why this seems this is like a tweet. Hey Vince, why not have Big Boss Man team up with the Bushwhackers and call them Law and Odor? <laughs> or how about <laughs> having Rick Rude and Bad News Brown team? You could call them Sex and Violence. I suppose your federation would make a couple more bucks if Buddy Rose and Coco Beware call themselves Ham and Eggs. That's from Larry. It's <laughs> Larry G in Richmond Hill, New York. So, uh, very entertaining letters. I won't read them all, but those are some of my favorite ones. So yeah, now here's the thing: WF, I mean, had done that forever. You know, putting guys, single guys together as tag, tag teams. But in all actuality, aren't most pretty much every tag team put together is from two guys that were single wrestlers? Yeah, I think Larry G was a little off-base <laughs> His lawn odor is pretty funny, though. <laughs> Unless you're brothers. Yeah. Unless you're brothers. I, I mean, well, my favorite's Ham and Eggs. Yeah, Ham and Eggs is a good one, too. All right, we've flipped to the next page. What's happening with Bill Apter? It's a picture of Stan the Larry Hansen holding up the United States title after beating Lex Luger at a Halloween Havoc in a stunning upset, ending Luger's 17-month reign. Ooh, the Rockers beat the Hart Foundation for the World Tag Team Titles on October 30th in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny because this didn't actually happen. <laughs> well, it happened, obviously, but what I'm saying is yeah. the magazines, the way they were, they'd report the information as they got it. So this happened, but then a week later, I guess WWF never acknowledged it, so then the magazines left looking like they were lost. Yeah, that's a cool little thing there that that that, that that's in there like that, and and I don't know if they they cor- did a correction or not. And the next issue, I'm curious now yeah. to go to the next month, you know, and then check and see did they make a correction with that, yeah. or they just like oh well let's forget this. No, they probably made a correction. They probably went hard at WWF for being clowns and doing <laughs> changing it because how dare they disrespect the sport? Uh, ooh, there's, there's a cartoon, Chris. Steve Anderson's view. It's a picture of Vince McMahon. He goes, this year, Survivor Series will live up to all expectations. This pay-per-view will not lay in. Well, well, you know what I mean. There's a picture of Vince McMahon, giant egg, which uh, (laughs) ends up being the gobbledygooker. gobbledygooker. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, Turn the page, Dave Rosenbaum's No Holds Barred section. This one's especially good for Chris. It's a picture of the last Battle of Atlanta with Buzz Sawyer grabbing hold of Tommy Rich hair. Uh, Basically... uh, they talk about this feud and how they're still wrestling each other in 1990. But they all talk about how Rich isn't the same. Which actually, I'll tell you what, the magazines did him no favors because they constantly talked about how he wasn't the same. Well, while he wasn't the same, the more you talk about him not being the same, it makes him not the same. Well, here's the thing with Tommy Rich. and Tommy Rich, when he comes back in 89, he he – had had it was coming off of all he had some drug issues, heavy drug issues, and he was not the same guy, especially physically. But you look at Tommy Rich as he goes along. Tommy Rich gets in like the best shape of his life in nineteen ninety. He look he is in tremendous physical condition in ninety. He really committed himself to, to being out there. It's just Tommy Rich was seen as old, even though he wasn't old. Because he was so big, so young yeah. that he was just seen as an old and Buzz Sawyer too. Buzz Sawyer, like thirty years old, nineteen ninety. You know. Yeah. But there was an angle. It's, it's, there was an angle with Tommy Rich on NWA TV in the fall of '89. Him and Luger. Him and Luger, and he punches Terry Funk because Funk calls him a piece of trash, 
and they have this Luger just by the way Luger just so good in 1989 uh oh, yeah. bounces all over for Rich right after like he would bounce all over for uh Brian Pillman a month later too so Luger had like these two younger stars or not younger but these two new upstart talents in the territory we'll say really elevated Pillman and then this year feud with Tommy Rich I didn't like it at the time I was a kid. I didn't know any better. I just thought, who's this pudgy guy? Tommy Rich sucks. Lex Luger would destroy him. Because I, I literally believed what Terry Funk was saying on the promo. He was too close to reality on the promo. So I didn't care for it. And he wore brown tights. And me and all my friends would, like make our little LJN or our little Remco AWA wrestlers and other wrestlers. I remember none of us made a Tommy Rich because he had ugly ass brown tights. Because we're all such little diva kids that we, we have to have cool neon green tights. But uh, oh, it's 1989. You gotta have you gotta have the uh, body glove. Oh yeah, the body glove for sure. Like living color. Uh, what's his name? Corey Taylor. But uh, yeah, so yeah. we weren't into Tommy Rich. I will say this: my two favorite eras of Tommy Rich are actually post peak Tommy Rich. I like 1987 Tommy Rich with. Paulie and Austin Idol against Lawler. That Tommy Rich was fucking awesome. And I like 1988 AWA Tommy Rich feuding with uh, Adrian Adonis and Paulie Dangerously in the AWA. So both of my favorite Tommy Riches are associated with Paul uh, E. Dangerously, which is interesting. Well, every every era of Tommy Rich is my favorite Tommy Rich. So. You go. See, you're a Tommy Rich guy. <laughs> well, that's what I grew up of with. Course. I mean, God, Tommy, Tommy Rich, was, I mean, he was wrestling in uh, – you know, independent shows in my area for I mean, forever, you know, and he was always on my TV because, you know, I had Continental and so I was able to see him on Continental. He was always on Pedicino's show. So, yeah, I mean, I had Tommy Rich. Tommy Rich like your forever. local Dusty Rhodes or a local Von Air. Exactly. Yeah. And, then he, and then he turns heel and it's like, whoa, you know, I mean, when he turned heel for uh, for Blackwell, Southern Change of Wrestling in 88, I mean, we knew, I mean, we've seen him as a heel in Memphis, but here's the thing. Um, Channel 36, Pedicino's show, would not show Tommy Rich heel stuff on their show. They would show him an idol, do things to Lawler, but they would not show any of the heel shtick, like interviews oh, and oh. stuff, because he was working babyface in Georgia on their television. So they did not want him seen in that evil light like that. As oh, I love it. So they were very careful. So anyway, he turns heel for Blackwell, and he he you know that's when Mister Donnie as drug dealer uh, becomes a on air character. And wait, is it real life drug dealer? Yes. Oh my God. And uh, it's oh oh yeah oh yeah, and it's so believable that you know he becomes so hated, and he's fume, he, he's you know he's the biggest heel in the, in the in the area you know in these shows. He's feuding with the Armstrongs. I mean, there's a there's a match I put up on YouTube of him and Brad Armstrong um, having a big match at the uh, Ford dealership in Griffin, right the road from me, and the uh, crowd just hates Tommy Rich to death. Then he goes to NWA and he's Bayface again, and the crowd gets back into him. Like I say, and he, and he gets back in tremendous physical shape, and he, you know he's just a mid card guy, and then he becomes like lower mid card. And then they, you know, turn him heel again, in 91 with your foundation and becomes Thomas rich. And, uh, then the, you know, everything goes on after that. But I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tommy rich. Like, what can I say? He, he is the low, he is my local legend, like wrestling too. You know, I mean, they're just, 
they are what they are. They're the local legends around here. So my local legends are Tony Deppin and Drew Kovaleski. What's up? Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Unbreakable Andy. Also. Unbreakable yeah, Andy. Yeah, Andy. Andy, 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 if you're listening, I'm sorry. All right, so uh, <laughs> poor guy, broken eye socket, so he's out of wrestling for a while now. But uh, oh, here's shame. one on Tommy Rich though. Uh, I remember it was all over for him when like Sid and Danny Spivey destroyed Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Rich and just treated him like complete job guys on NWA TV in like 1990. And I was like, oh no. But uh, that's one thing. There's one I just saw where, um, oh god, who was it? Um, it was one of the heel guys in '91. Just just steamrolled him in a couple of minutes. I was like, ugh. Oh, oh, look at <laughs> I don't think it was Vinny Vegas. It may have been seconds at a clash, and I remember thinking, "Oh man, it's really bad." Well, that was one. That was one, but I think it was Black Blood. When Billy Jack Haynes was Black nice. Blood. I, I just to further this. This is now just going to be a Tommy Rich show. <laughs> but, uh, so <laughs> my favorite Tommy Rich match ever is uh, it's on the Wrestling Gold DVDs that have Meltzer and Cornette, Twitter favorites, uh, talking about. Uh, they're talking over the commentary. So you can listen to Dave Brown and Lance Russell, or maybe it's just Lance, but then you can hear them talk about it too, which I found this is like 17 years ago when they recorded this. So it's not like no one's arguing about anything. It's like a fun, like factoid over it's the great. Match. It's actually great. I it's really enjoy job. it too. I wish they'd have done more of these back in the day, but uh, it's Tommy Rich and Eddie Gilbert who were the uh, ill-fated new fabulous ones. But they had like a match I like more than any Fabulous Muds match ever. It's against Phil Hickerson and the Spoiler, who's not John, John Tennessee Street Fighter. Yeah, and it's not Don Jardine Spoiler. It's just some other guy in a Spoiler. It's Frank Morrell. Well, there you go. Which we they probably told me in the DVD. I didn't listen to it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But no, it's an excellent match. Juice all over the place. Tommy Rich, bloody as fuck, throwing punches, and uh, I have several comps I want. Uh, <laughs> But one of the main, I want an Espectrito comp. So if you're listening to the show, DM me. Uh, Espectrito from 93 to 95. I want to find all the little guys' matches because he was such an unbelievable worker. <coughs> and then also, I'd like a Phil Hickerson comp as well. Cause oh, my so goodness. Good. But like, there's very limited PY2 high and Hickerson footage out there, but he was very, very good too. So uh, on to the next page because I'll be here forever. Uh, yes. <laughs> blindsided by Bob Smith, who I don't know if he's listened to the show yet, but he's a friend of mine on Twitter and someone I always enjoyed reading as a kid. So Bob Smith, you're the man. Uh, he talks about young wrestlers coming up in the sport or the uh, the performance art. <laughs> Wink. Uh, fat uh, that's that kind of week. Don't argue with us. I don't give a fuck what you call wrestling guys. Uh, Sheik Fabiano is here. Uh, Sheik Fabiano. Oh, so is Lou Fabiano from WCW and NWA job days. Uh, and he is a 275-pound New York native. And uh, he talks about how he felt like quitting, but now he's going to be back in the CWF. And he's hooking up with downtown Bruno. And he's now Sheik Hussein, or Sheik Fabiano. So, uh... That's what you'd do then. You just that's why there was gonna be chic tug tugboat, by the way. <laughs> like everybody just put on a, a headdress and they became another uh Well, that's what happens. Everybody comes rushing so you know when they yeah, ate so that's what happens. So there <coughs> chic Exactly the, the uh xenophobia back in the day. Chic Fabiano. Uh 
nothing too interesting here. Otherwise, uh, he was in and out of Memphis like everyone else was. Uh, Tommy Jammer is here. Tommy Ooh. Jammer is the California kid, and he's looking at a uh, title shot with Larry Zbysko for the AWA belt. Tommy Jammer did not go far in wrestling, I don't believe. Uh, I didn't remember him until I saw this. He was a... He kind of had uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell fab, uh, qualities to him. He was just I, I, must- I tell you a Tommy Jammer story. Yeah. I thought when Tom when I, the first time I saw Tommy Dreamer, I thought was was that the guy that used to be Tommy Jammer in the AWA? Now he's he looks different now. You know who I thought of? I thought that for I thought of Jammin' Mitch Snow. Oh yeah, Mitch Snow was the master of the Jam Slam, which is a Jam Slam. Yeah. I, I swear to God, I think I mentioned him last show too. But he does a hip toss, or he falls with it, which is so cool. And uh, he was the master of the Jam Slam. But I thought Mitch Snow was Al Snow. So when Al Snow had those matches with, Seth, <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's that guy from 1987 AWA TV. What the fuck? But uh, he's not the same guy. <laughs> And uh, and there's kind of and there's kind of resemblance physically between the two. Oh, well. absolutely. So that's that's easy. easy I, I remember watching a Jim Crockett uh, <laughs> match against Mitch Snow and just examining it in 1994. Like, is that Al? Like, what's going on? Now <laughs> Unibom next to him, I just can't tell. Uh, so, so, okay, so now we've got thumbs up, thumbs down, which is an awesome, <laughs> awesome thing where people do oh, good, yeah. good and bad things, and the wrestler calls them out for both those. A very young-looking, probably teenage Dustin Rhodes here with a big smile on his face. There, thumbs up for him. He would have been twenty. Well, there you go. Yeah, so he uh, he helped Dusty fight off Virgil and Ted DiBiase. <clears throat> now right. uh, he's acting out of love, and that's the best reason to act of all. There it is. A nice thumbs up there for Dustin, who I saw last week, and is just the best guy. I'm very happy, and I hope he. Uh, Hope he has a lot of big matches coming up on TV so we can see Dustin wrestle again. Cause uh, that was a great angle. I I I enjoyed the Dusty Dustin DBS oh, stuff. I mean, you got blood. You got blood on television and WF off of that. Wooden chair. I mean, yeah. Dustin firing up and come coming back on uh, Ted, who Ted was still really uh, one of the best at the time. So yeah, that was that was a hell of a deal, and I enjoyed it. And Dustin took a clothesline over the goddamn rail. <laughs> it was fucking nuts, man. That was probably one of the- and Dusty and Dusty was able to be Dusty again. Yeah, you know, and, and I and I enjoyed po- polka dot Dusty for what it was, but du- it was a- Dusty was able to be Dusty Rose again in this. Video. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jerry Lawler gets a thumbs up, and. Uh, just about him dominating the USWA title. Nothing big there. Thumbs up to Davy Boy Smith returning to action in the United States. Without his former partner, Dynamite Kid, in October, he dominated Haku, Pez Watley, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Paul Diamond. And he's hungry for more. That's a, that's a cast of character. There you go. Uh, there you go. He's going to ready the belts, they say. And he won one a year later. All right. <coughs> Lex Luger gets a thumbs up. And... They're telling him he needs to demand a match against Sting because he's a U.S. champion. Apparently, he lost the belt, though, so he shouldn't demand one anymore. Uh, thumbs down to Eric, <laughs> Eric Embry, and it's good guy, bad guy. What is it, Eric? This is another one of your Tommy Rich situations where I think he's good in one and bad in another area. But uh, talking about how he stayed back. It's, it's, interesting, it's, it's interesting you read this about Embry in 90 because we just did it between the sheets on 1990. 
and Eric Embry at that on, the, on that week that we did it was on tour with all Japan. Oh yeah, with with, with Richard Charland, I'm sure. Richard Charland, yes. Uh, and Scotty Dabati was uh, Scotty Anthony Raven was on that tour. I didn't know it was. Yeah, there's, there's look at my uh, lack of uh, French showing there. Yeah, he uh, he was always just the prototypical milk toast uh, heel. <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, Embry. And there's a match that we talked about. It was uh, fuck. Was it is it Kabashi, Kawada, or Kabashi Masao? Somebody. It's a six man with the Super Generation Army against Eric Embry, Doctor Death, and Terry Gordy. Oh wow. Awesome. I liked Embry. I think uh, he's kind of a forgotten guy sometimes at wrestling, but he's pretty damn good. He's going to be at Wrestle K. Oh, that's cool, man. No, that's good. I'm happy to hear that. He needs to, you know, no, he doesn't need to do more. I kind of like when people don't do many of these and they just pop in. <clears throat> yeah, it makes it special. Uh, they also oh, give absolutely. thumbs down to Kenny Patera, Michael Hayes, and Stan Hansen. Not really of too much consequence there. Uh, Ooh, look at this. Correspondence report on the next page. We've got That's always a favorite of mine. Yeah, yeah, they got the Road Warriors against the Demos and the Ultimate or the Ultimate Warrior and Legion of Doom against the Demos. And uh you know who wins there? What city? Uh Milwaukee. Um the big one I'm looking at here is Reseda, California. What? Oh yeah, so oh oh yeah, definitely. Reseda had a lot of wrestling. Yeah, I didn't know that. Mister Wonderful Paul Orndorff wrestled Cowboy Bob Orton for the UWF. Guess what? Guess what? Yeah, UWF, her baby. Yeah, yeah. No other matches on this show. Ooh, it was a double countout. Big surprise. <laughs> other matches on this show: Cactus Stop. Jack beat David San Martino. Ivan Koloff drew. With uh, Nikita Koloff, I don't know what they drew, but I'm sure it was cool. Uh, Ken, Patera, <laughs> Ken Patera beat Billy Jack Haynes by disqualification. I like that. They were a short-lived tag team a year prior in WWF, so that's cool. B. Brian Blair defeated the Bounty Hunter, and the Viking beat the Patriot. I don't think that's Del Wilkes. I think the Viking, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Ludwig Borga or Tony Holm. Tony Holm, yes, that's right. There you go. Uh, Charlotteville, Virginia, Soul Brothers Doom <laughs> defeated Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic. Then after the match, there was some kind of battle, and Sting came out to help Doom. That's a unique thing that you probably won't see on TV. Uh, other matches on the show, the Juicer beat Pat Rose. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pat Rose, hell of a wrestler, now an avid fisherman, I hear. Yeah, and our bar, of course, the G. There you go. Pat Rose, former tag team partner of good longtime close personal friend uh, Tom Pritchard as the Heavenly Bodies. Uh, the Master Blasters defeated Mike Rotunda <laughs> and Tim Horner. Now, Al Green and uh, Kevin. Yeah, Hayes. I'm assuming it's Al Green because I think the original guy is gone. Uh, yeah. Dave Meltzer's favorite, Dutch Mantel, pinned uh, my favorite, <laughs> Alan Iron Eagle, who went on to. Uh, become uh oh god joe, joe gomez. gomez tampa's king uh rick morton and terry king of many things at tampa <laughs> i don't want to know about any of them i just know him was a nice guy uh who owns a good sushi place <laughs> i mean owned a good sushi place uh rick morton and terry taylor defeated the midnight express and probably one of the last midnight express matches uh the junkyard dog defeated harley race in the nwa guys did not know that match ever happened in the NWA. I would have lost that bet. And in the main event, Sting defeated 
the Black Scorpion, who could have been Angel of Death or Alpharez or or who knows. I'm guessing Angel of Death probably on this one. I'm guessing. Just a guess. Louisville, Kentucky, my friend. Uh, We've got... Bill Dee as a special referee as Jerry Lala takes on Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. So there's that. Tony Anthony's involved. It's a whole hubbub. Everyone's fine with everybody. Yeah, Eddie Gilbert's booking Memphis at this time. So, uh, yeah, fun. Final pin counted by Eddie Marlin. R.I.P. There you go. Match. Yeah, the great Eddie Marlin. Yes, yep. sir. Uh, other bouts on the show. The New York Brawler. And Sheik Hussein. I think the New York Brawler is probably the aforementioned Lou Fabiano, by the way. Yeah, you know who Sheik Hussein was? Who's that? George Weingroff. Get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? Uh, I shit you Wow. Not. I didn't know he wrestled that late. They defeated Joey Maggs and yeah. Jeff Gaylord. Uh, Danny Davis beat Doug Gilbert. Superstar Bill Dundee beat Samurai. And Brickhouse Brown defeated. You know who that is? Who's Samurai? That's Shinsu Sasaki. You know, you know the story there. You know him and Hashimoto was there in '89 as Samurai and Shogun. Okay, Hashimoto went goes back to New Japan. Sasaki, I think, goes back and then comes back to the United States because he fell in love with a girl in Tennessee. No, and he married the girl and retired and stayed in Tennessee and uh, be, uh became a uh a uh a, a, a cook a, owned a restaurant. Who's this wrestler's name? Shinji Sasazaki. I don't know who that is. You've uh, oh. he him and him and Hashimoto were there. Samurai Shogun. Oh, I knew that, but yeah. I didn't know who this name is. Like, was he in New Japan or something? Yes, he was a uh, he was a Choshu guy. So he started out with Choshu in all Japan, and then came over when they went to New Japan. If I'm not mistaken, he he was uh, he also replaced uh, Nakura in the Viet Cong Express with Hase. Look at you. And Stampede. A wealth yeah. of information is always crazy. The thing I know most about the Samurai is he took a back bump on Salt against Dick Murdoch at the title yes. tournament in 1990. So, yes, yeah. the uh, the infamous uh, ceremonial Salt was thrown by that motherfucker uh, Tojo Yamamoto and hey, Murdoch. Hey, hey, and look, the, the, there it was. What women? Women? Uh, Women, the, the uh, he got he found some love, man, and he get, you know gave her the business. Good for him. Good for you, Samurai. Good job. Uh, now we're on the yep. "You Asked Us" portion of the magazine. Uh, I got a question for Tom Zink. Uh oh. If your former partner in the Can Am Connection, Rick Martel, came to the NWA, would you reform the team again? I don't think that even has even the slightest chance of happening," said Zink. Uh, wow, what a dick. For them to write it like that, it makes the good guy seem like an asshole. Haven't you been watching your yeah. TV lately? The guy's turned into the model, and he's bad news. All oh, this is great. Forget it. I, I retract what I just said. In the days when I teamed up with Rick in 87, I never really trusted him. That's why I left the Can-Am. Oh, that's, this is good. That's why I left the Can-Am connection. So they basically now have rewritten history that, that he always knew that uh, Rick Martell was a complete asshole. So that's why he left the WF. There you go. Now he's now I'm going to team with Brian Pillman, he says. There you go. Well, there it is. The model, Rick Martell. And again, I <laughs> literally had a spirited discussion the other day on Twitter. William Regal chiming in saying how awesome Tito Santana is. And I do think Tito Santana is awesome. But on the last show, you all remember, I buried Strike Force, a team I thought sucked. I like Martell and Tito individually, not so much as a tag team because I thought the Can-Am connection of Tom Zink and Rick Martell 
we're going to do big things, and then it just didn't happen. All right. I love the model yeah. gimmick. I will always love the model, especially especially when Martel fully embraced it and was starting to wear. Like I just watched them in a TV match uh, from '92, where he's coming out uh, wearing his uh, like a like a, a polo shirt and little white shorts with the tennis racket and the sweater wrapped around it. And he gets in the ring and says, tennis anyone? I mean, I love that. I love that stuff. And anytime his brother love were on camera, he was, Martel really reinvested too, because he was always wearing some other different uh, expensive outfit. Yeah, he would, yeah. He got to give him credit. If Vince, you know, gave him the Ted DiBiase treatment, like, here's $4,000, Rick. Go get a wardrobe. Uh and, and, and he would like because uh, he he went he was on tour with uh war with SWS at the I was at war at this point it was one of them it was ten it was a ten rip promotion so he had done a tour with them so he had been gone so he comes back and Gorilla and Bobby are talking about how he was just on a successful uh, modeling uh, uh, excursion to the to the Orient that he was he was modeling in all these fashion shows how great is that and you believed it. Because he was the model. That is good stuff. I like that. Yeah. Now the next page, Chris, this is my favorite page of the entire magazine, which, by the way, has a fake sting in it and also a Muda Steamboat article, so it's saying something. Introducing. Now, who in – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who in the <laughs> – who in the late fall winter era of the NWA do you think they're going to have has introducing this month? J.W. Storm. Fuck yeah. It's J.W. Good job. Uh, it's J.W. Storm. The big juice. Yeah, big juice. J.W. Storm. He looks awesome in this photo. He basically looks like Chris Dickinson, <laughs> like complete assembly, maybe a little taller, six foot four. Chris Dickinson, same jacked up physique. He's got like the cool, like he's got like biker shorts on, black biker shorts, and like the knee pads, and he has like he has like little like beach shoes on which i remember ross and paulie would always talk about how he had this unique footwear but uh jw storm guys i don't give a shit what anyone says he was awesome him and the minotaur steve DeSalvo, were the two can't miss guys that missed because they were both really good they had very physically imposing guys they had great squash matches why the fuck the motor city madman and the big cat and all these other guys got pushes instead i don't i don't Choose more well, than anybody, but come on now. Uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, Motor City Man Man had he had you know Heyman you know as one of his supporters and you know only I don't know it's only Anderson booking so it, it's hard to explain. Yeah, it's but, unbelievable I mean, how it had to have been the time in the NWA where the most guys like showed up and then left. It's crazy to think of how many people were on TV and then just gone forever. Uh, but J.W. Storm should have – I mean he should have had a, a better chance, and I'm surprised he didn't get one in WWF. Yeah, no, actually, he actually – the only match I ever saw his in WWF was primetime against the aforementioned Rick Martel. <clears throat> and it was go. a good match. He had good fire, and he shaved. He was all like ripped. Yeah. He looked like Rick Rude. He uh, he shaved his chest, which – that was almost like the kiss of death back in the day. You had to shave your chest for Christ's sake. Uh, so he wrestled Brad Armstrong at Halloween Havoc. And I have no recollection of because it was on the commercial tape. Okay, it was on the pay. It was a baby only. And match. he lost to Brad Armstrong, and I, you know, I love Brad Armstrong, 
but you would think they would have fed JW Storm Brad Armstrong to have a good match and win. So I don't know. Six foot five, two hundred eighty-five pounds, man. Fucking monster. I wonder what he's up to now. Maybe he's at Starcast. <laughs> Let's see what's going on here. Uh there needs to be a Tom McGee renaissance for JW Storm. Who can we find that he wrestles? Absolutely. I'll bet you he'd do real good. He's uh there he is. Ooh, giving Alan Iron Eagle, our good longtime friend, or at least six year friend, uh the uh, wonderful uh I keep forgetting his shoot name, Joe Gomez. I haven't talked to Joe Gomez in like four years, but regardless, I have warm memories. Uh there it is. Storm began boxing at the age of nine. Claims to have compiled a 48 and 0 record as an amateur, Chris. Look at that. All right. Uh, I'm looking at YouTube. There are some great JW Storm W7 matches. We got him and the Juicer against each other. Fun match, considering, you know, the past. Him against the Z Man. And then there's one here, him, uh, Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton against JW Storm and Barry Horowitz. Oh, wow. There you go. And yeah. he was in Maximum Overdrive with Tim Hunt, which I did not recognize. That's Steiner correct, back. yes. I got to go find that. Him against Scott Steiner back in those days sounds like it would have been awesome. And there's stuff with him, the Juicers, some promo with him and Beetlejuice together in Portland. It's Portland Portland stuff as well. But uh, And him in a boxing match against some dude named Billy Corrigan. Not Billy Corrigan. Yeah, yeah. But Billy, Cor- Billy Corrigan. And he was a bouncer for Eddie Sharkey, so he's got that Minnesota connection. There you go. Which you would have thought Ole would have pushed him hard. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. I'd love to know more detail on that. Uh, there is a Q&A with Norman the Lunatic <laughs> as Trucker Norm. So we're just going to completely skip this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, in the spotlight is the Rockers, where you have a little bio on one side. And then on the other side, you mean new champions? The yeah, Rockers. the new WWF champions, the Rockers. And then on the other side, you have a bunch of photos. The photos here, I'm going to take a picture of this one, guys. They're doing the Rocker Plex on Doug Summers, which is a cool suplex body press off the top move. They're doing a double top rope drop kick on Big Bubba Rogers. There's heel min or heel Midnight Rockers punching Robert Gibson in the face, double teaming him in Memphis. That's from yep. Memphis, yeah. There you go. And then you've got Shawn Michaels lowering the boom off Janetti's shoulders. Big punch to a standing Tully Blanchard. And then you got old Janetti here hitting a dropkick on both uh, Herc and Jerk as Hercules and Paul Roma go down. There you go. Turning the pain. Rockers. What's that? I mean, uh, should, should, uh, here, uh, here's a question with the Rockers yeah. for you. Uh, should they have gotten a shot? Shouldn't they have got on run with the tag titles in in ninety or ninety one? Uh, I mean, in theory, they could have just replaced. They could have replaced Anvil and Brett, and beat Demolition with Road Warriors' help, and then they could have lost them to the Nasty Boys. So yeah, I yeah. should have. <laughs> I mean, no offense to Brett and Jim, but I, I think they already had the belts, and I do think the Rockers were a really good team who should have had the belts. But, you know, I'm not sure ever what happened there. You know, they were always in and out of trouble, too, so that could have factored into things. So, yeah. I don't think they know everything the on why these things happened or didn't. Who knows? J.W. Storm could have had a alleged mighty coke habit, for all we know. I don't. We don't know. How these things. See, I'm in the news now, so I say alleged all the time. That's how you do it. But, uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, Rick Martell is the X-ray on the panel. We've got Captain Lou Albano, Killer Kowalski, Toru Tanaka, Larry Henning, Luthez, and Jack Briscoe. And they're all talking about Ricky Martell. 
And uh, Count Lou says, what happened to this man? Back in 84, 85, he was the AW world champion, honorable competitor. Heck, he'd rather forfeit a match than break a rule. Today, though, it's a totally different story. And then once he joined forces with that prick slick, he didn't actually say that in 1989. He turned his back on all of us. All right, there you go. Empty spray can full of cologne. Okay, he just goes on and on. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like they're getting quotes from Professor Toro Tanaka. Yeah, let's see what Tanaka it. has to say. Oh, you're gonna love this. <laughs> oh, we, we did him did him uh, last oh, time I think where they we're did gonna the, the, sh- the shitty. Yeah, do it again because they did the shitty. Uh, you know, like Japanese. Yeah, we're gonna do Professor Tanaka's every single time we have a wrestler. Okay. Martel will always be considered a legend in Japan because of the way he upset one of my country's greatest grapplers, Jumbo Sharuta, for the world title. No one ever expected a man like Martel to beat a seasoned veteran like Sharuta, and to this day, his victory is still talked about in the Orient. <laughs> Martel's win was tainted. It was captured in a U.S. ring with an American official. It's just a store-bought victory. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Oh, this is good shit. Oh, God bless the wrestler. I love it. Larry Henning just talks about how his son Kurt could beat Rick Martel. Okay, here we go. Now we're going to turn the page here. Muda versus Steamboat in Japan. East meets west, north of the ring. Super cool layout of this particular story with Steamboat pointing across the ring at Macho Man, but they made Muda stand on the other side instead, so it's cool. And then it's each guy hitting a dropkick-like maneuver in the middle of it, and they talk about how at Anoki's 30th anniversary celebration, Muda and Steemo fought one of the most thrilling matches of the year. Rookie reporter Kostya Kennedy was given the envious task of reporting on this classic in the land of the rising sun. There you go, Yokohama Arena, 17,000 fans. Huge match, huge show. Uh... That was the. Let's see, I'm trying to remember. Okay, that might not have been the match with the debut of the gimmick. I know I think the gimmick in Japan was before that, but uh, <clears throat> it's a it's a hell of a match, and it's a match that imagine if if they would have got to do their that match in '89 in NWA. Oh yeah, you know how how great it would have been if Steamboat would have if they would have kept Steamboat around, gave him the money, and he stayed, and we got a Steamboat Muda feud. I'm about to one-up you because I think it would have even been better if it was just Muto against Ricky Steamboat in a baby-baby match in Japan. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that would have been Especially because I thought Muto without the – I love Muto as a character. Don't get me wrong. I know this will be taken the wrong way. Love Muto doing Muto stuff, but like Muto as like Muto in like 90 to like 93 at least, he was just – He's a different oh, level, yeah. man. I know everyone bastardizes the word underrated, but like he should get talked about way more for how good his stuff was. He was just well, New Japan heavyweight wrestling in general. Yeah, in that era is underrated. Yeah, Hase to me. and Hashoda, I mean, the whole gang. Oh yeah, because I mean, really, you talk, you you talk about '90s New Japan. The first thing that's gonna come up is junior heavyweights, and rightfully so because they were fucking awesome, but. The heavyweight wrestling is always going to be all Japan because of the big four, this, that, and the other. New Japan had just as good heavyweight matches as just about anybody else in the world. I mean, all Japan had better high-end matches for sure. Yeah. But New Japan with Hashimoto and his amazing reign on top, and then you had all these other guys like Chono when he was good, Fujinami, Choshu, Muto. I mean, all these guys, Hase, 
all these different guys that are bouncing in and around it, man, there, there are some really strong matches for the New Japan heavyweights in that era. That just doesn't get talked about. The anymore. bad guys, Chris, too, though. You got Bam Bam, Vader, Coquina, Great Sam, yeah. you know, yet. Uh, Norton was fun. You know, Hercules Hernandez came in with Norton for a minute there. And yeah. Ho- well, ho- look at the Hogan match. Hogan, when he comes in in 93, is wrestling, you know, wrestling like he hadn't wrestled in years. Yeah, it's true. Like, they, they had a lot of really good top heavyweight monsters, too. They bring in the Barbarian every now and then. Win- Steiner's Win- in there. Over. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the one thing about the Bill Watts relationship. It just sucked that when Bill Watts left, you know, they... I mean, they when they came over for that G1 tournament in 92 with Dusty and Bill Watts sitting front row for Rude losing to Chono, that tournament, there were some really good matches on there. I remember Dave Meltzer went to it all, so he really had a good documentation of, like, all the matches that whole week. But there were Austin was good. Yeah, yeah, Austin. But I just remember it was, like, Barbarian, Vader, and Bigelow, or there's some wacky team, right? They just had so many good big dudes, and like Wyndham was mixing it up with all the other guys. A lot of that I wish uh, was more available or made tape or whatever you call it. But I guess there's some kind of weird thing with TV with uh, New Japan World or something. So, well, New Japan, I mean, New Japan Classics were their stuff, but nobody really. I mean, there is a famous tape dealer that has that stuff but about this really famous tape it. dealer that has all this stuff and i gotta talk to him because i've been doing some famous tape dealing <laughs> so i want to uh find more so aside from that uh two disc best of expectrito that i'm looking for uh any kind of uh you know turiamon or early uh t2p or any of that shit i'm i'm, I'm into all that now so Next story, Chris. Does Jimmy Hart own a piece of Hulk Hogan? And uh, oh, yeah, it's he's Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hulk Hogan is very much like the Federation in which he wrestles. The WWF has a selective memory when it comes to wrestlers' pasts; they're usually ignored. Hogan too has a selective memory when it comes to his past. He tries to ignore it. Ooh, good job, Dave Rosenbaum. You got me hooked on this story. Uh, they talk about how. Jimmy Hart was the manager of Hulk Hogan. And basically, he still might own... For one match. Yeah, he still might own the contract. We don't know. Yeah, <laughs> own the contract of Hulk yeah, Hogan. he does, and it cannot be rewritten. He was a rookie rule breaker in the Mid-Southern area, which had its base Mid-Southern. in Mid-Southern. Yeah, the Mid-Southern. That year, Hogan was managed by Jimmy Hart, who later became one of his staunchest rivals. There you go. Look at that. Terry Boulder. They've got Memphis yeah. historian Al Preston on as quoted in the article. I never heard of Preston. Who? <laughs> yeah, Memphis historian Al Preston. So uh, he said there are videotapes of these early years, and every once in a while I find them interesting to look over. Ooh, look at this! This guy had videotapes in the day. Yeah, see, you used to be a you could be a correspondent if you had a videotape back in the day. Here, Chris. Ooh. It's- Al yeah, Preston. Al Preston. Yeah. No, I'm sure he doesn't exist. Here's a uh, picture of Hogan body slamming Lawler. And here's a picture of Hogan body slamming Jimmy Hart's uh, earthquake, the Canadian earthquake, or as Dino Bravo referred to him as the Herquak. He's getting body slammed here. <laughs> it's all Herquak. That's uh, I love that. I'll never call him earthquake ever. Uh, and then all of the managers. Uh, Hart has sent the fewest number of challenges after Hogan. Oh, this is really getting deep in here. <laughs> so uh, 
Ooh, WWE expert Thomas Pillard says this is an absurd accusation. Theory goes down the tubes when you figure how intent Hart was at having the Canadian Urquhart and Hogan's career. So there's all this. What a good article. Good job. Good job, Wrestler Magazine and Dave Rosenbaum. All right. Anything to say on that one there, Big Chris? <laughs> well, okay. Uh, it's funny that they acknowledge, you know, that Hogan was in Memphis, which they they would do stuff like that. The magazines would acknowledge guys past, you know, more than you would think. It's, but it's funny that that happened, you know, and brought that up. But it's funny also reading, of course, knowing what's coming up, you know, years down the road, where Jimmy Hart and Hogan hook up again. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah, it's just one of those fun deals, and it's it's one of those deals. that's just you know, uh, I don't say to create controversy among the readers, but to give them something to think about. It. Oh yeah, that was the whole point of it all, you know. So it's I, I could this could this really be going on? I mean, Hogan, you gotta look at it. Hogan is not the champion at this point in time. Oh, is this going to lead to him becoming a bad guy and going and going after Warrior with Jimmy Hart as manager? You know, so that's the type of thing that the magazines would do. They would create the these scenarios that would get you know people that didn't know what was going on think, thinking about oh could this be happening oh yeah let me it's yeah. the dream job like uh, in the 80s me and you'd be great writers for this because imagine having like that entire library of all these old photos that you basically have to do something with so you could just come up with all these evergreen stories and just have people talk about it on top of what doing it like the incredible halloween havoc hoax is next and it's basically a, a story covering the recent big match with sid and sting but you got to fill up the magazine some other way, so you do those fun stories like the the Jimmy Hart one. But uh, yep, here we go. So there's a picture of Barry Windham, yet another picture. So that means that this magazine already has three better pictures of Barry Windham than were ever seen on the broadcast itself. So here it is. Uh, they talk about how the plan was formulated with Sting, the imposter, and it even makes sense that we're all saying they had a they had a they had a cameraman that they paid off to work ringside he took a photo of sting and ran back to the dressing room so someone could uh put together some tights and paint his face similarly and like it's it's really well done because it seemed like well how the hell would barry windham know exactly what sting was going to look like that night so it's uh yeah it's really, was he tapping his phone line yeah the hair the hair wasn't the problem sting always wears it the same way the makeup was the bigger problem because the horseman wouldn't know how sting would be wearing his face paint until the match well, Barry Windham, Barry Windham had had short hair in at this point in time, nineteen eighty two. So nine, so eight years, and it was short black hair. He was Black Jack Junior. So for Barry Windham to get a haircut, ooh, the know. problem was quickly and efficiently solved. A person applying the makeup would take a Polaroid photo of Sting as he entered the ring. Then they'd merely have to be applied based on the photo. And then they talk how it could be done. One of Flair's numerous girlfriends agreed to do the job. <laughs> oh, this is so good. This is the kind of soap opera shit that would have made this angle work so much better. It's so stupid because they're doing all this stuff, but the whole main thing is staying black Scorpion. That's all they're talking about. And they, you know, on that show they did this this shitty magic trick. You know that stuff. I mean. 
the whole thing is Sting and Black Scorpion. You got Sting and Sid, which should be a marquee match. I mean, it, it, Sid is ascending on the scene. He's one of the most over guys in the company. And Sting's his first pay-per-view title defense. But it means nothing because the, it's the Black Scorpion that, that, that they're, they're promoting. And even prior to this, Chris, they had Luger beat uh, Sid in like 20 seconds on a clash, which is so fucking stupid. And then... I mean, WWF would never have done shit like this in this era. Never. And leading up to the match, all you really saw on TV, it wasn't like Sid annihilating jobbers like he would later on after this happened. But like it was just like the same match of Lightning Lou Perez getting powerbombed over and over again. They would play on the syndicated shows. So like they didn't build this up well at all. I don't know whether Sid was still suffering from that injury that he had. with his- No, it's just only, only being only as far as booking. Yeah. Really? You know, I mean, they they got all their eggs in this Black Scorpion deal. That's not the fucking match. Yeah. You know, and then and then and then if you're gonna do something with the with the Black Scorpion, do it in the match. Why even do this Sting impersonation gimmick if you're not going anywhere with it? Which they don't. Well, they never went anywhere with the Black Scorpion either, so it's a total. Loss. Yeah, but the Black Scorpion was dominating television. I know, I know, but like what I'm saying is, we wanted it to be Eddie Gilbert or Garland Denoho. What's up, Shane Helms? Or like we wanted it to be <laughs> any of these guys. Steve DeSalvo could have. What? Why would he say California 1986? If it like it it had no bearing on any of that. So the, yeah, they wanted people to think it was the war. Of course, but like you still the people that the people that knew. And then, but they know, but they know it's not going to happen because Warriors fucking champion. Chris, even worse, they had Angel of Death under contract, or at least working for them. At- we played the character. He could have been. He was a power team guy. Like they. Yeah. God damn it! Don't introduce a piece of a storyline in if it's not going to mean anything later. That's my take on it. Like whether you wanted to think it was Warrior or not, I guess you could ultimately say, "Oh, they were just lying against Sting's head." But it. it, it I don't like it when an angle is done where you know there's so many details that could be provided that could make it fucking exponentially better, and then they did. Speaking of which, that's where Barry Windham's former friendship with Sting paid dividends. Windham Windham remembered the name of the tailor Sting used to make his wrestling tights. So the horseman contacted the tailor located in Atlanta, bribed him into revealing Sting's wardrobe for that evening, and had him make identical (laughs) stuff. How good is this? This is so fucking good. Like, why couldn't they have ran with this afterwards and then have Sting fight Barry Windham or something? It's just – it's it's sad to think – that the magazines – well, it's easy to think the magazines would tell better stories than the actual wrestling bookers because, you know, they were so, – Especially Yeah, Oli. they're so into it. Bill App- Oli was Oli was a great booker for years, but once he lost it, he lost it. Ooh, this is a good one. Money talks, especially with poor tailors. <laughs> oh, this is good shit. Is that why Terry Taylor went to the Your Foundation? Because he was a poor tailor. Uh, he was a poor tailor. Jesus. <laughs> Someone snitched this thing and he was to be on guard. I had no idea what was up. Oh, this is good shit. They even talk about how uh, without the interference, Sid could have maybe beat Sting anyway. He should be furious with his friends and the horsemen. This is good. They they literally paint like five different angles out of this thing, which WCW never even really acknowledged. Uh and then after this, Sid's not Sid kind of falls away from the horse. Yeah, floats. They kind of treat it ran, ran yeah, a match yeah, with uh, Danny Spivey at Starcade. 
Yeah, they bring back the skyscrapers as, as like baby faces. So I mean, it's just we so weird. So weird. yeah, none of it made any like they bring back the skyscrapers, but then Spivey never even stuck around. And Spivey, I think, was fired twice by WCW at this point. Well, no, he goes back to Japan, and then comes back. And when he comes back, they do the thing where he attacks Luger. <clears throat> oh yeah, and sets up uh, Wrestle War. <clears throat> yeah, and then he, and then sits back and sits back top with the Horseman again. Yeah, because he comes back with like the pink long zebra tights and like the red boots, which is an awful uh, combination. And then he is gone. Like he come in for worldwide TVs and then be gone. But then he attacks Luger, and then he has that great Wrestle War match. Then he kind of sticks around, sticks around. Then he doesn't put over PN News, and Dusty fires him. And then basically. He comes back again in 92 with Watts, and he destroys Gary Knight Train Jackson with a powerbomb, which I had on one of my nailer comps because it's just a fucking – Gary brutal. Knight Train Jackson looks almost exactly the same today as he did back then. Amazing. He does. He does. But it, this powerbomb, you know how you pick someone up, you're supposed to put him flat down. He like angles it like where he's like, like fucking spearing him into the mat. It's horrifying. But uh, yes. But there's Danny Spivey back and forth, back and forth, never for a long time. But it, it, you know, I think Spivey he got into the, the game so late, like I think he was like 34, 35 when he started as Golden Boy Danny Spivey. He's o- well older than people thought. Yeah, including me. But and he never because really- he played he played at the University of Georgia in the early seventies. Yeah, because he had that Jack in the Varsity Club. That's how I knew that. But it's one of those things where. He never was ripped and jacked like Sid, but like he just he was a monster still, you know. He was a large. He's man. you have you seen him now? Yeah, male model dance. Well, no, <laughs> that was like ten years ago. But now he did one of those interviews, the Hannibal, and like he's sitting by his pool and he helps. He drives the folks that need drug. It like any, anyone from WWE that has any kind of drug problem, they just send them. Danny Spivey picks him up and takes him to rehab. So. Danny Spivey yeah, still is right. kind of tied to the WWE and he's helping people, but like Danny Spivey now looks fucking incredible. He's like jacked as shit. He's got fucking massive vein in his arm. He looks like fucking brick shit house. Like he, he's one of these older men who he had all those ailments and problems from that hard style of wrestling and football and all that stuff. So he his health hit rock bottom. He almost died, and then basically he got it all together, and now he's able to go to the gym. And it's just a nice story, to be honest. Uh, good for Dan Spivey. And uh, I really wish we got yeah. turn, turning on Sid and feuding with him or some shit. It would have been cool. But sto- Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, imagine that. Story of Dan Spivey's life, the skyscraper that never really made it in the States like the other guys did. He made it in Japan, though, so good for him. Well, okay. Well, he – okay, there was him and Sid, and of course – that me Mark guy, you know what? He oh did. yeah. But he 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 made better than the masked uh, skyscraper, Mike Enos. Oh yeah, the the shorter skyscraper. That's like what the fuck is skyscrapers. That'd be cool. Like, what the fuck is that all about? Why was there a short skyscraper? It's fucking stupid. But uh, I mean, it's only he was well only one booking only one booking there. So I can't put that on only. That's uh that's Flair. Flair, well there you go, Flair. It's funny because even you know me, I'm like Rain Man with these details half the time. I don't even know who was booking after Oli till you just told me. So there you go. Well, Flair was booking before Oli. Oh, uh, Dusty replaced Oli. Oh. So yeah, Dusty replaced Oli. Oh, so who was the one that Mill Maskeris Cactus Jack? Who booked that? <laughs> Flair. Okay, because that was where Foley told the story about running into someone at Flair's birthday party, 
and someone said, oh, yeah, he remind me of – someone said to Terry Funk, you remind me of uh, Terry his age and then terry looked at cactus i don't see shit in here and then he told that in his ECW <laughs> promo which it shows you how those promos they stay with me for like fucking 25 yeah, yeah. rick was head of the committee then then he then he was done and then they hired Oli. and Oli's there uh till december first of december and then he's fired Dusty does the war games yeah and, okay and Dusty and, and, and Dusty comes back in uh, January after Royal Rumble. Okay, so we get like Bobby and Flair and Steiner and, and Flair and all that, and that's all Dusty. Yeah, the Clash is the first show that Dusty's a part of, and then he's Dusty's and on the job for pretty much the next couple two years. Man, that Wrestle for ninety one shows as good as it gets too. And then like Super Brawl was still pretty good, but that's when Herb wanted more of the WWF elements. Yeah, her her was a major factor in a lot of that shitty stuff dusty had going on dusty had his dusty had his part in it but heard was a driving force behind My a lot thing of is i wish i could have asked dusty like why the fuck were there like 19 matches on like super brawl and then that clash remember the clash before super, <clears throat> the clash before and after super brawl both had like fucking 27 matches on each show and it's like holy shit and, and the thing is people want to give dusty shit about that 91 stuff but one of you know, seeing the praises of uh ninety-two Dangerous Alliance, the same guy's book. It's just one's with Jim Hurd and one's with Kip Allen Fry. But it's the same guy. Oh, there you go. See, I didn't even realize that either, but you're right. Even it, Kip Kip Fry is the boss, Bill when Bill Watts was the boss, Dusty was still the head booker. He was the guy. Dusty's uh, so savvy that he, it's basically like make your boss happy. Do what the boss wants, but still your exactly. vision. He wants the fucking WBF. I'm going to give you goddamn Oz and the WCW creatures and all this other shit. WCW special forces and Firebreaker Jones and all this shit. But like Firebreaker Jones, Firebreaker Chip, whatever his fucking name is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, Pe- yeah. uh Pez Watley's the male. Yeah, because <laughs> they had. I remember they had Black Blood, PN News, Johnny B. Bad, Diamond Stud. Oz, they had the, the fucking Slater and Murdoch became the hardline collection agency. I'm like, literally, it, you turn on TV one week as a kid and you're like, what the fuck happened to the NWA? Like, what is like, it was neat because it's all these new people involved, like Steve Austin, Lady Blossom. And you're like, oh, because I, I do think I do think that is missing now in wrestling where you don't really have the, the turnaround on stuff where you see the same people. People every week you're expected to see the same people every week whereas hopefully with AEW they have enough talent you could funnel them in and out you don't have to expect to see the same people every week and with some of the different partnerships they have maybe you just see a random person like remember how like Nitro you know, going off on a tangent here but like Nitro would have like alright so there's Arn and Rick in a tag match with the Rock and Roll Express oh shit <laughs> here comes Yukon John Nord why is he here oh but there's some Vianos and it's like you never knew who the fuck you'd see walk out of the curtain and I, I I miss that aspect of wrestling, but in a weird way. and the bring and the, and to bring it back, you know, to 1990, you know, even though we're shitting on this stuff, I still love watching that television, oh. even though how shitty it was. You know, it was booking. I loved it. If if 1990 worldwide and 1991 worldwide 
were on the network in perfect, pristine quality, I would watch the fuck out of it immediately. Like, worldwide were how I got into wrestling. Like, worldwide from 1985 to, like, 1993, as soon as I go to Disney, you get fuck off. Like, I don't enjoy it anymore, unfortunately. But, like, all those little gymnasium worldwides in Spartanburg and all those little towns and then the Cobb County uh, – building you know very well like those are the best worldwide you know so i hope they all get up so i can watch wimpy matches till my fucking eyes bleed <laughs> and just, yeah. the, the thing is that should be fairly easy for them to put up because i mean that's what they had on the uk you know for exactly. in the early 2000s was yeah those worldwide and it's like kenny kendall and rock hard rick and fucking <laughs> keith Oh, God, Brian Carr. Yeah, like all those guys who just get their asses kicked. Even Lou Fabiano when he was – Yeah, Zan Pans the whole fucking gang. Like give me my wimpy matches. Like I, I, I don't have the network currently. I will get it for that Adrian Street thing because I'm in and out with it. Bob Cook, the whole fucking gang. So it's like <laughs> I want to watch all of the wimpy matches or, or even better than someone within the network – or hire my ass. I'll I'll go and fucking <laughs> I'll go and get all the Lee Scott matches and Mark Young matches and all the fucking decapitations and put them on. You would do a uh, they had the collections. Uh, you have your job. Yeah, Adam Circumstance. I know you're not listening, but fucking get on this. Like to, to me, I I remember I helped him pick uh, lucha matches for one of the. Uh, they did like the best cruiserweight matches ever, and I'm like, oh my god! I'm like. You got to get hysteria against Venom Black from Shotgun, like all these random little matches that they have, you know. And you want to see them, you want to yeah. see them again. So, because a lot of them. Well, maybe one day, maybe one day we'll have some. Yeah, yeah. The network's got it's it's a real good thing. I'm not even shitting on it, but like it'd be cool. Hell, they they added a superstars of the superstation, you know, the week before we recorded. Yeah, I hear you. It's great to have that. I mean, you know, we ha- even though we have it on DVD, it's great to have it, you know, on the network and you know, like that. Yeah, even though it's missing all the great music and stuff from the original airing because they won't, you know, do the, the, the copyrights. But still, yeah, the Crockett Cup raw footage that was a huge one for me because it showed that both they don't give a fuck if they don't have all the camera angles perfectly spliced. It's just like raw footage. Well, well, you know, we mentioned earlier in the show, Last Battle of Atlanta, even though a lot of people, you know, were kind of underwhelmed because they had heard for so many years what it was. I mean, still, the fact that that, uh, they found it, they put it out there, I mean, come on. It's amazing. It's amazing, this stuff. Like, I saw a photo of uh, Vince McMahon with Ultimate Warrior in that fucking snake doom pit where Ultimate Warrior got bit by a cobra. And it's just yeah. like Vince talking to Ultimate Warrior. And I'm like, how the fuck is this photo out? And I'm like, B, oh my God, imagine if someone had rolled tape on a lot of these things, just had all this like footage that hit the, that never hit air. Like that would be, or outtakes. Like to me, that's another show they've got to get together with all the different rolls of tape. Aside from like finding different stuff, find fucking outtakes we've never seen. There's got to be, even at FCW for two years in NXT, there was so many fucking funny outtakes I remember that I even have some of them. But it's just like you got to imagine they must have so many for fucking 40 years now that like Morocco or Piper or any of these funny outtakes. Like when – oh yeah, remember when Gene passed away unfortunately? There was like all these funny Gene outtakes that existed, and I was like, oh, fuck. This is good stuff. So even something like that would be really good for a show. Hopefully when they get this thing all teared up and have these new – programs and whatnot they'll 
they'll jump on things like that because it's a great network, but it could even be better, and it probably will. Absolutely, so that's good. Uh, ooh, here next story, buddy. Enforce the thirty day rule. Strip the ultimate warrior of the WWF title because the motherfuckers keeps having these six man with Hawk and Animal against the demos and he should be defending his singles matches from Tampa, Florida to Cape Girardeau <laughs> to Missouri to St. Louis and Boston Toronto to Manhattan the match with the demos and the Legion of Doom has been done all around the circuit the feud is raging hot but it also means then almost every match, the warrior takes control and bends either axe, smash, or crush. This is almost kayfabe breaking here, by the way. This is it is it's pretty crazy for the magazine to be writing this. But uh, they give it the fine, great. The warrior's a dominant wrestler. We know that. But why hasn't he defended his title? Don't Herquuck, Kurt Henning, Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, <laughs> Slaughter, and even Hulk Hogan and Kerry Von Eric deserve a shot at the title? So, yeah, these are fun stories, too, because it's like fantasy booking. <coughs> but, uh... Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, and we're not asking Tony to take action. We're demanding. Oh fuck, they're demanding Tony yeah, takes yeah, action. Jack Tony. Rick, the warrior makes Hogan look like Ric Flair when it comes to title defenses. Oh Jesus! So there you go. They're coming at the. Yeah. I mean the the cool thing about that feud, I mean the six man stuff is all the paint painted guys. You know, and that's the dynamic there. All the guys with the face paint, but Warrior. I mean Warrior was not drawing as champion and. They didn't help the cause for him. I mean, it was. I don't know. Any, it's a weird deal. Look at his run. Have right. any heavy angles like boss? Boss no, man. Hogan. Hogan had him. Yeah, boss man fucked up Hogan on brother love, and then earthquake fucked up Hogan on brother love, and there was all these big angles. With Warrior, we just had like Rick Rude shaving his head and running on the beach, and like there was never any real angle there. And it's and the guy and the guy he wrestled the year before at SummerSlam. I mean. We've already seen Warrior and Rick Rude. I mean... And, like, all the potential challengers Hogan had already beaten, so it was, like, really weird. And then... I mean, they were saving they were saving Savage, obviously, for down the road, but still, I mean, there... You got DiBiase, although DiBiase and Dusty are doing their thing, okay. There are people there you could work with, you know? It's, it's really weird, how the Warriors title ring went and in that company. Finally, when like Berserker and Undertaker and all those guys come in, he's already lost the belt. So it's a, it's a whole thing. But like something that is an underlying thing with this it really pisses me off. It doesn't really piss me off, but like it, it makes you think like, man, they fucked this up was as soon as the Road Warriors got to WWF, they never built to anything with demolition and tags. They went right to these six-mans. So basically the illusion of seeing the Road Warriors against Axe and Smash never even really happened because it was like three-on-three. Three. And there was never really even an angle before it. They just start doing them on TVs and house shows. And it's like the Hogan-Flair thing. Like there never really was a Hogan-Flair angle. There was a Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, Vince McMahon angle. And, like, Hogan was talked about, but they never really did anything. And then they wonder why it didn't – the history is like, oh, well, it didn't draw. Well, they didn't give it a fucking reason to draw. You know what I mean? Like, it was presented that Hogan was a real – or Flair was a real-world champion with Heenan, but, like, it never did angle. Yeah. I'm sorry, but in those days, angles matter. I think these days, angles matter. We'll see how that works out with both companies coming up soon. But, like, 
there's no real reason for people who don't know about the NWA to be excited for Road Warriors Demolition or Ric Flair Hulk Hogan if you don't really introduce it and do a heavy angle. And they did do an angle, Chris, eventually, which you remember probably, where there were three members of Demolition. They all wore masks. It was like Road Warriors against Orient Express, and the Road Warriors kicking their ass, and the Fuji's calling the dressing room with his cane. Come on, come on, and all the Road Warriors or the Demolition guys and their little S&M masks right now beat the fuck out of Road Warriors. Oh, yeah. But, like, it was too late then, you know what I mean? So, and then that led to the Survivor Series where Axe was so happy to be there. He didn't even slick his hair back. and just got beat. <laughs> that was the end of that. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of a bummer. Also a bummer, Chris, yeah. Jim Cornette says, I'll break up the Midnight Express if they can't beat the Steiner Brothers. Wow. Yeah, well, that, they never beat the Steiner Brothers, and they were done. And they broke up. <laughs> and they broke up. Change is nothing new to the Midnight Express. In the spring of 87, the Express, then composed of Eaton and Dennis Condry, was in a similar slump following the team's August 1986 loss of the NWA World Titles to the Rock and Roll Express. So there you go. You find Stan Lane, Major Coup, new Midnight Express back on track. And Cornette says, don't put words in my mouth. I don't have all the details sorted out. I have several options, none of which I want to make public at press time, regarding what happens if if Ian or Lane, if he splits them up, what's he going to do? Who's the new Midnight Express member going to be? So there it is. As far as I'm concerned, I guess they, I mean, they, I guess they obviously knew. They obviously knew that Cornette was going to leave. So maybe, or maybe it's just really good timing. Could be. Oh, turning the page beyond the squared circle, our favorite. Show oh. the magazine, guys. It has all these pictures that we're not supposed to see. All right. <laughs> One of them is Norman the Lunatic going a few rounds with WBA light heavyweight champion Himmler Kenty. All right. Himmler Kenty, yeah. You know who that is. Look at that. Oh, that yeah. It's one of us. Well, did he ever wrestle Don Lenard? <laughs> Donnie, Donnie Lenard? Yeah, yeah. No, they never, they, I don't think they ever fought each other. Uh, let me check yeah. that. But Hilmer Kenty, I mean, I was a, I'm, I was a huge boxing guy. I still am. No, I, I don't have the time. I don't watch as much as I used to. But uh, yeah, Hilmer Kenty was a, uh, you know, top guy in that era in that division. And uh, yeah, he was a hell of a damn fighter. And uh, More than- he was from, uh, he was based out of Detroit. So you know, Mike Shaw. Is a guy from Michigan. There you so that go. Makes sense. Does who'd you like more, the WBA or the WBC? Well, or did it matter? It's not like wrestling where they had different. It's not like wrestling because they're not the promotions. They're the sanctioning uh, bodies. Basically, I mean that for for the boxing lay people, this is IWGP <laughs> or PWF. Or the, you know, in Japan, the Triple or, Crown in all Japan. They're the sanctioning body, the NWA. There was never an NWA yeah. promotion. It was the NWA. Was a sanctioning body. So, but boxing, the alphabet suit in boxing is ridiculous nowadays. It's crazy. But back in the old days, it was just WBA, WBC, IBF. I was about to say the IBF, I remember too. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was a whole lot better in those times, even though it was a lot of crooked shit back then too. I mean, the promoters still basically called the shots. I mean, it was always noted that the WBC was in Don King's back pocket. WBA was hooked up with Bob Arum and Top Rank. IBF was hooked up with people. 
I mean, it, the promoters controlled the sanctioning bodies. They always did. So it's like wrestling in a way. There was a time in 1992 or three where like Mike Tyson came back and like he fought, I guess it might've been, Oh God. Was it Razor Ruddock and Mike Tyson? They have a couple matches. Yes. Yeah. So they fought each other. And I remember it was outdoors and Mike Tyson came out to red man's time for some action. And I thought it was like the coolest entrance ever in life. Then they, then the Simpsons used that for their Dredrick Tatum character. Ah, see. When he fought Homer. Yeah. Look at that. I love it. Uh, another photo here, Chris. Marty Jannetty amongst children. <laughs> it says, Uh-oh. Hope it wasn't his... Uh... Yeah, they're all... all it's, it's not Mel Phillips. It's Marty. So, uh, it's Marty Jannetty of the Rockers stops by to have his picture taken with young admirers. And it's... Just Marty Jannetty and, and the kids. The kids wearing a Bushwhackers t-shirt. Fantastic. Uh, Tommy Rich and Officer Warren oh. Kent Jr. of Wilmington, North Carolina. Police Department remind everyone to buckle up and avoid the dangers of drugs. <laughs> there it is. Oh, that's a great one. Tommy Rich involved in that. Well, at least Tommy Rich is kind of clean this time. There you go. That's nice. Then we've got Phil Collins with Larry Sharp and his wife, Sue. Sharp had a part. Ultimate yep, Sharp had a part in a recent Phil Collins interview. There you go. Yeah, with Ultimate Warrior. That's the thing on CBS where Phil and the Warrior had their little oh, two, deal, which I think is on YouTube. Parts video? No, it was a CBS special. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah, and, and, and they did a little deal. Where, well, Phil Collins is a big wrestling fan, and uh, he did a deal with Ultimate Warrior. Phil Collins kind of fell off, eh? I don't think I heard of him past. Uh, he basically retired. Good for Phil. He retired from music, and but now he's back. I will I will forever have a a love of Huey Lewis in the news and Phil Collins. So bless. Oh, it's a, it, I mean it's some of the defining sounds of the eighties is Phil Collins. I mean, come on, whether it's him and solo or him in, in, in Genesis. I mean that's it's when I when I get off the phone, I'm so gonna listen to Genesis. Okay, another photo. Bulldog <laughs> Bob Brower, beautiful Bruce Swayze, and Abdul the Butcher hadn't seen each other in years. Before this photo was taken, Swayze managed both Brower and Abdullah at various times in the 1970s. And it's Bulldog Brower rolling his eyes back in his head and making a wacky face. And then Abdullah the Butcher in a wife beater and a pair of pants that go up to his uh, tatties. So there you go. There's those. Bruce Swayze act, uh, actually uh, related to Patrick Swayze. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, I think they were like cousins. <laughs> Tremendous. I mean, not not like first cousins or anything, but that you know, in the in the they were related. Yeah. I look at this photo and just keep thinking that Bulldog Brower was an admitted KKK member, and he's posing with Abdul the Butcher. R- <laughs> Racism in wrestling's weird, man. I, so I don't understand it. Like even with Dick Murdoch, like I don't I don't get it, man, because he was said to be in the KKK, but then like, well, it, it, here's the thing. Uh... Are they all like closeted, timid bigots, or I don't understand. No, it's like wrestling. I mean, what's the what's the most important color in wrestling? Green. Thank you, Ernie Ladd. All right. (laughs) As I turn the page, it's Vic Steamboat. Ooh, callous disregard. No, no, callous disregard. Paulie dangerously keeps telling everyone how great Mark Callis was, and he'd win the belt from Luger. Of course, Paulie and Callis failed in their task. And now Callis has left the NWA. 
what should we expect from a man like Dangerously, who specialized in making outlandish claims and never living up to them? Oh, that's funny. Uh, he sent the SST. He said they were a cinch to win the tag belts. They didn't even come close. I wonder who Dangerously will boast about next. Whoever it is, his career progress probably will be very slight, says Maurice Yelton of Dearborn, Michigan, who is the letter that was most wrong in this issue. Wow, yeah. there it is. And there's a picture of Mark Callis threatening to hit Paul E. with a heart punch here, which is kind of cool. Oh. I'll put that one online. Uh, Trooper Trouble. If the Trooper had any brains at all, he would leave the AWA as soon as possible. He's too good for that belt. He's ready to take his talents <laughs> anywhere, in fact. Anywhere but the AWA. Trooper, pack your suitcase and take the next plane out of Minneapolis, says Nigel Watkins of St. Paul, Minnesota. So even people within Minnesota are talking shit on the AWA. Yeah, well, I don't blame him. Betrayed. Oh, sweet Sapphire, how could you? You betrayed the dream and left me with little hope for or to believe in. I'll never forgive you from this, says Don Musterman of New England. Very good. Yeah. Very angry over uh, Sapphire's uh, change of heart when she sold. Well, she... She took the green. She took the money. Oh, this is good here. Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp. Summer Camp 1991. Weeks complete wrestling pro training from July 1st to the 24th. Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Owned and operated by Keith Hart. Beware of imitations. Proven track record. He's probably talking about his brother Bruce. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) proven track record. We get results. We have direct access to major wrestling territories. 18 years older. I'll bet you this 1991 camp. Well, no, I would guess Lance Storm and Jericho might have been the one prior, but this is kind of interesting. 1991. Well, it'd be early 91. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is where they trained before they became sudden impact. I'll post this and see if Lance says anything. Uh, there it is. You could. I could have signed up for this. <laughs> I ruined everything by not signing up for the Hart Brothers camp in 1991, Chris. Still only $2,000 Canadian. We accept visas. I bet they do. <laughs> Register today. All right. What else? Is that the end of the magazine? What's going on here? Let me see. Ooh. Videotapes. Ray Boom Boom Mancini gives you his knockout workout. Uh-oh. Get in, <laughs> get in the ring with former heavyweight or light heavyweight champ Ray Mancini. World-class fitness. Three-round workout that pulls no punches. Boxer size. There it is. Ooh, Dolph Lundgren, maximum potential. Dolph Lundgren, star of Rocky IV and Masters of the Universe, I wouldn't say that too loud, shows you how to achieve the body of perfection, a complete cardiovascular routine followed by body sculpting and stretching designed to prevent soreness and injury. 30 American dollars. Uh, and then lastly, Rachel Hunter's body sculpting follows I know, right? Uh, Follow along Sports Illustrated swimsuit model as an expert trainer as she leads you through exercise routine that utilizes future wife of Roger Stewart. Oh, look at that. Major and smaller muscle groups to develop tone and definition. HBO video. You bet it would be. There it is. Fantastic. And now, to close it out, we've got the rankings. All right. Yeah. I know your favorite. Let's look at what Ole Anderson's NWA looked like, Chris. Okay. The world champion is Sting. Number one contender is Stan Hansen, U.S. champ. 
Sid Vicious, Lex Luger, Black Scorpion, Arn Anderson, Ric Flair, Vero's Hero, Terry Taylor, the Junkyard <laughs> Dog, Norman the Lunatic, and Marietta's own Brad Armstrong. Uh, WWF, Ultimate Warrior, Kerry Von Erich, Randy Savage, Kurt Henning, Ted DiBiase, Urquhart, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> Big Boss Man, Sergeant Laughter, Dino Bravo, and Davey Boy Smith. I'm kind of surprised Hogan's that low. Yeah, right? I say Sergeant Laughter. Uh, my main man, Bonsai, who is a Harley trainee, who's an official for WB right now, uh, <laughs> I had to make all these DVDs for the NXT kids years ago, and like I made like thousands of them when all was said and done. But on the one, I wrote Sergeant Slaughter, but I guess the S wasn't very visible. So Bonsai's like, like, who's, Sergeant, who's Sergeant Laughter? And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> we we get the call from Connecticut. Yeah, we're gonna need like a thousand DVDs uh, made, even though you only have one DVD burner. And like, yeah, we're gonna need them two weeks from now. So, oh, build them out. It's like. Oh my god, we need them two weeks from now. That means they got to be done by Tuesday. Like what? You always got to over deliver, guys. I'm like, oh my god. So we basically stayed at the school for fucking 48 hours, burning DVD. Uh, yeah, oh. terrifying. All right, so here's what we're gonna do, Chris. Instead of going over who's who, I'm gonna pick because this is what I would do when I was a little kid. I would take the guys in WWE and match them up with the same number as WWE. As NWA. Okay. Uh, interesting. Okay. And we're going to both pick. Okay, pick one. This is going to be the new favorite part of the show, I feel, too. Sting or Ultimate Warrior? Sting. Sting. Stan Hansen or Kerry Von Erich? Stan Hansen. Hansen. Sid Vicious or Randy Savage in 1991? Well, what's the, no, what's the ratings date? What? Oh. The date of the ratings. Okay, November 1st, 1990. Okay. I love it. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to go with Sid. Yeah, I'm going to go with Sid, too. Uh, Savage was kind of on the downturn. He was in the Dusty. He was coming off the Dusty feud, which wasn't a great feud for Matt. Yep. And at this point in time, he's he doesn't even have a, really a feud. Yeah, and even though Sid lost right. the Sting, it was through confusion when the horseman made him have a doppelganger. So I'm going to pick Sid, too. Uh, Lex Luger or Kurt Henning? I gotta go with Luger. Dude, dude, we're gonna clean sweep NWA. Luger over Henning this way too. Okay, here's where they're gonna win though. Black Scorpion or Ted DiBiase. Oh god. Oh, that's a slam dunk no brainer. Okay, yeah, me too. Arn Anderson or DeHerquak? <laughs> I love DeHerquak, but Arn. Oh, I'm picking. I'm picking DeHerquak. Okay. Well, there we go. He was a monster at the time. Uh, Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan? Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's crazy that they're that, that they're both that low. Yeah. A flare. Terry Taylor or Big Boss Man? Big Boss Man. Boss Man. Junkyard Dog or Sergeant Slaughter? Slaughter. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Sarge too. Norman the Lunatic or Dino Bravo? Oh God. Uh, I'm gonna pick Dino with the big side slam. I'm gonna pick Dino Bravo because Norman this time is trucker Norman. Yeah. And lastly, and this is the best matchup that I'd actually want to see out of this, Brad Armstrong or Davey Boy Smith in 1990. Hell of a match. Davey's kind of just not coming back. I, I, I'm going with Brad. I'm going to go with Davey just because Davey was getting a push and Brad was almost never getting a push. But if I was going to 
but Brad's one of my guys, so I mean, I'll, I'll always love Brad. If I was going to vote on who I'd like to win, I'd pick Brad, but I just think at that point in time, I'd pick Davey. And Davey was going to feud with Kurt Henning soon, and Brad has Henning-esque qualities, so that's cool. Okay, so we're going to do another one of these. Except oh. now we're going to do <laughs> Pacific Northwest against ICW. Oh, oh, I love this. Go ahead. Yes, let's get it. Classic. Okay, so the grappler against Vic Steamboat. Uh, Lynn Denton, yeah, the grappler. Yeah, me too. Steve Sawyer, the brother of Bart Sawyer, against the Tasmanian Devil. Taz. Yeah, I'm picking Taz too. Scott Norton against GQ Madison. I'm going with Scott Norton. <laughs> I, Scott I don't even Norton. know who the fuck GQ Madison is. He teamed up with TD Madison, who was Tommy Dreamer, but I don't remember who GQ Madison was. That's right. Uh, John Rambo or Eric Skibraka. Ah, that's one of the guys I would always see that name in the magazine. I'm like, who the fuck is this yeah, guy? Yes, I'm thinking I'm, I'm fucking it up now. I'm sure too. Eric Spraka. Eric Spraysha. Spraysha. There we go. I think it was the name Spraysha. Uh, all right, who was the Northwest guy? Oh, John Rambo. Uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Spraysha. Yeah, I might too. Cause John was John Rambo the same guy that was Rambo in Otto Wands's promotion. Uh, no, that was Luke Poirier. Okay, this is just like a Pacific Northwest. This is the guy who ended up shooting on somebody up in the Northwest in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. Brad Anderson. Sam Panzer. Sam Panzer or Curly Moe. <laughs> I'm, pick- oh. <laughs> I'm picking Curly Moe all day. I'm going to pick Curly Moe because he's he's not an asshole. Yeah, he's not an asshole, and I liked him a lot back in those days. He's, I hope he's still alive. I I think he, I, I think he is. I'm gonna He's from Mudville, Ohio. Five hundred fifty-five pounds. One of the bigger guys ever in the rankings. All right, Doug Masters. I remember Doug Masters. Now that I read his name, he had a good look against Mondo Clean. Speaking of good looks, Damian Demento. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, Doug Masters. I'm gonna go with Mondo Clean just because he looked cool. Al Madrill or Joseph Volga. I was just in Parson. Jersey. Uh, I'm still not picking Joe. I go with Al Madrill. <laughs> That's a match that I, I got that that match took place once some somewhere. Uh, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna pick Al Madrill too. Ricky Santana against Chris Michaels. I'm gonna go Ricky Santana. Me too. I like Ricky Santana. Uh, Larry Oliver, weird looking kid of Rip Oliver, or Bob Orton, yes. who's a cool looking kid of Bob Orton Senior. <laughs> that's a no-brainer yes. Bob Orton Bob Orton Jr. by Superplex and then lastly Bobby Blair or Equalizer Zip now this is the case where I don't know who either one of these people are which is so rare but I don't know who Bobby Blair is and I do not know who Equalizer Zip is in ICW I'm sure it's not Equalizer Zip um, I'm trying to think who. what else he went went by uh I can't remember. I really don't know. I don't know. Bobby Blair. I think he was just Bobby Blair. So I think that one we kind of need to, uh, I don't know. You set call it a draw. We're calling that one a draw. If anyone knows anything about Bobby Blair or Equalizer Zip, who is not uh, Eva Sullivan, let us know. Okay, we're going to. Or, 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 Dr. There you go. We're going to do. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're going to do one more. And this one's just for you right. because I am picking Georgia All-Star area. Oh, 
Oh my god. Yep. Oh my god. Oh my god. And I'm gonna go with my region of Florida. <laughs> so it's the PWF. The PWF against Georgia. The world champion oh, in boy. Georgia is Nick B- Busick. My world champion is Steve Kern. So I'm picking Steve Kern already. <laughs> I'm going to pick Steve Kerr. <laughs> both, both of these guys would be undercard wrestlers for WWF within the next calendar year. Uh, yeah. Mark Starr or Joel Deaton. Ooh, good wrestler. Joel Deaton. They're both really good, though, but I'm going to go with Joel Deaton, too. Yeah. Uh, Steve the Brawler Lawler against Ron Slinker. Steve the Brawler Lawler, easily. Ron Slinker, of course, the stepfather of Naked Midian. Uh, yeah, Billy Black, and he's going to oh. go against Lou Perez. That's a really good match, by the way. I'm going to go with Billy Black. Oh, the ba- bad boy. Bad boy Billy Black, yes. Jim Powell is a name I do not know. Dirty white boy Jimmy Powell, yes. Well, buddy, he's going to have his hands full because he's taken on Dick Slater. Oh, I got to go Dick Slater. They, I know they wrestled each other. Uh, Jimmy Powell, dirty white boy, but wear, wore a tie-dye shirt under his uh singlet hmm. never seen him i have seen the next guy festus and festus is gonna go one-on-one with jimmy Backlund, who would later be called jimmy del rey oh my god her Fahibli festus against jimmy del rey oh that's a sleazy man <laughs> uh i'm gonna go festus i'm going with jimmy Backlund for sure uh, <laughs> this is probably around the time where kern told me a story where he handcuffed jimmy Backlund to the post and then they literally just left him in the building overnight <laughs> so i'm sure he enjoyed oh uh, you know what i don't he may have let me tell you all right so the terminator <laughs> the terminator marlornitis the terminator is gonna go one-on-one with abdullah the butcher big match here guys A- abby yeah i'm gonna pick abby too aladdin another name i do not know and he's going to face Sergeant Rock, who I also do not know. I'm trying to remember who Sergeant Rock Sergeant was. Rock was in Smoky Mountain, too, I think. Yeah, that was uh, Jack, that was Miss Texas. Uh, oh, interesting. I don't think this was Miss Texas. Nope. Uh, I can't remember who Sergeant Rock was now. Do you remember? Do you, do you know the other guy? Aladdin? Aladdin? No, I'll top my head. Okay, no. we skip no. number seven. Randy Rose. Draw. Oh, boy. Randy Rose <laughs> against. <laughs> My favorite, Joe Gomez. I'm picking Joe Gomez. <laughs> unless Randy Rose, unless Randy. Randy Rose has a badass sushi place, I'm picking Joe Gomez. Randy Rose is awesome, so I'm going to pick Randy Rose. Randy Rose was at that uh, convention uh, over the week, uh, a couple weeks, a weekend I ago. Saw, see how I got a picture uh, with him. It's cool. Yeah, he looks great. Yeah. I mean, he looks tremendous for his age. He, he was in a three-piece He suit. looks like he has an age, to be honest. Randy Rose... He really just has. as old now as he did in 1989. It's crazy. Yeah, he looks great. And then uh, number nine, Johnny Ace. And he's going to take on Steve Pritchard, who is another name I do not know. Oh, that would be an interesting match. Steve Pritchard was a guy who was uh, just a Georgia area guy, a good worker. Uh, I'm going to take I'm gonna take Steve Pritchard, but not by much. All right. And the That'd be a good. That's a that's a pretty even battle. I'm going with Johnny Ace. The final because okay. I have to. I don't know the other guy. The final. This closes out the show, guys. Rotten Ron Star against the Coconut Kid. Uh, I don't know or remember who the Coconut Kid is. Uh, so I'm gonna lean toward Mark Rotten Ron Star. 
who I also think is one of the more boring wrestlers. Oh, look out. They're going to perform me now. I, I'm sure there's a lot of Ron Starr I haven't seen, but he was always just kind of... I'm a, I'm a Ron Starr Yeah, he's kind of mean when I would right watch now. him wrestle. Well, watch Wanda's Puerto Rico stuff. I need to find some Puerto Rico. WF got to get that Puerto Rico stuff up for us all because I think we'll all be talking. Dude, I have all that shit. Let me get the fuck out. All right. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. I've, I watched that Medicos or the Medics against the Rujos or the Rujos against somebody that Anniversario, Anniversario 1990 with everyone throwing trash in the ring. It was crazy. I mean, I, I have well over 100 discs of Puerto Rico. Stuff, yeah, so. sweet. We're going we're gonna to talk. I don't have enough Atki Malumba in my life. I have to. <laughs> Watch a lot. He's not on a, a whole lot of that stuff. Benjamin. But, I mean, there's a lot of Ron Starr on YouTube, though, if you want to look at I mean, there's a lot of Ron Starr. Do you have a lot of the be... Dan Crawford Tama tag team? I have some of that. I have more of the Dan Crawford Bobby Jaggers than I do Dan Crawford and Tama, but I do have Dan Crawford Tama. Gotcha, because I need to watch more Tama, who's the father of Jacob Fatu. There you go. Yeah. Perfect way to close it. Alan Farrell. Yeah. Thanks for listening, Alan. I'm so sorry. Although looking back on it, I could not have phrased all of that any worse because I'm like, yeah, a lot of facial similarities in body language. <laughs> yeah, that's his son. <laughs> Anyhow, bless, bless them both. I want them to have a father-son team. But uh, very good. Well, that is the February 1991 Wrestler Magazine. Another fun one here, Chris. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Have you selected your next selection? I have not. But uh, what year leaning toward to have the have the folks that are listening kind of uh, like think about what they're going to see next? I'm thinking I'm thinking 1985. I'm not even joking in my head just now. I was going to be like, please say 1985 because that's just what we've done. And it's a hell of a year, so cool. Pick a 1985 one, and we'll have at it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where we go there. But I'm thinking 85. Hell yeah, you heard it here first, guys. Most likely 1985. So if you weren't born yet, get ready to learn. And if you were nostalgic for it, you know we will be too, because that is the year I start watching wrestling. So fantastic. That's yeah. That's the year that I first really remember watching wrestling. So, there it is. Same. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> I guess I need to close this out now. All right. So uh, for it's up to you. You can close it. If you want me, what's whatever. I'm going to close it out. So. All right. Take everybody home. for listening. This is Rob Naylor joined by Chris Z. Another wonderful edition of cover to cover. If you have any requests for magazines, you'd like to see us do, by the way, here's a new one here. Yeah. Tweet us, send us a cover of uh, wrestling magazines. Or uh, black tail or cherry or whatever you want. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, these fuck. We do it. No, it's just wrestling magazines. Uh, we're gonna, we magazine. We're gonna cover them all, and it's gonna be a nice, black fun tail. family time. So, uh, tanned and chunky. That's a, that's a, that's a quality magazine. Send, send us the magazines you wouldn't get in trouble reading in the '80s and '90s, and uh, we'll we'll talk about it for sure. So, once again, for Rob Naylor. Thank you, Chris, once again for a nice little dialogue here. Friendly, excitable, and always about pro wrestling forever. So take care, guys. Have a nice week, and we'll see you next time. So long from the Peach State of Georgia.